Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL, welcome to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. This is the first of many series devoted to specific artists that have helped shape Broadway as we know it today, both for better and for worse. It is called A Little Sondheim Music, and it is dedicated to the musicals of one Mr. Stephen Sondheim. I am Matt Koplick, your host, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts. And with me today is one Mr. Patrick Sulkin. Hello, Hello, Patrick. Hi, how are you? I'm feeling great. Patrick's face as I gave that entire intro was a masterclass in acting. He had every response in the world. You are a great actor. Uh, Some of you might remember Patrick from a previous episode. He's an old guest, friend of the pod, uh, on his obsession with Sousa Kell. He is a music director, soon to be Tinkly Octave composer. That's a little joke between us. Uh, You will recognize his credits as Pretty Woman and Kinky Boots. And uh, recently in the before time, you were working on the Little Shop revival. Yes, yes, yes? I was. I was uh, a sub-keyboard player over there. I conducted a couple times. Um, and then most recently was working on the new musical Fly at La Jolla Playhouse. Oh, no way. I didn't know you were working on Fly. Yeah, it was a really wonderful experience um, and a great place to be in the winter of mm-hmm. 2020. You know, our, our year of nothing is about to like fold in on itself. Mm-hmm. So part of me imagines that it was this winter that I was in San Diego, but that's not true. No. That is very much not true. Patrick, today, what is the Sondheim musical we are discussing? We are talking about a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Yes, we are indeedy. The probably, I would say, inarguably the funniest of the Sondheim shows and like the most fun of the Sondheim shows. Absolutely. I mean, I think a little night music is truly hysterical, but like a little night music is a bit of a slower burn. You have to get through the first 10 minutes before things become funny. True. And I think Gypsy is very funny, too. Oh, Gypsy is very funny, but also like then Gypsy gets very dark. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the most consistently funny Sondheim show. Exactly. Um, And also, you know, Gypsy is funny with also great roles for women and for him, maybe not so. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Very correct. Which, But we'll get into all of that. so you, when I reached out to you about doing this series, first of all, thank you for saying yes. Of course. Um, I mean, I, I know, of course, I, I, when I say jump, you say how high, that's just the way that this friendship works. <laughs> yes. But I was really surprised when you were like, I could talk about forum a lot. I was very surprised to hear that from you. Um, I feel like of all the Sondheim shows, this is the one that people don't really think of as much as his, especially on the music end. And maybe it's unfair of me to associate with associate you with music but you are a music director so yes and my affinity for forum is purely nostalgic okay Um, I did the show at my community theater in high school um and it was my first Sondheim show that I knew of got Um, it so 
I remember being at rehearsal. I was the student assistant stage manager of Forum at the Ritz Theater in Tiffin, Ohio. And you don't need to brag about it. Oh, oh, you know, <laughs> the Ritz Player's famous production. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the music director talking about a particular song and saying, like, this is where you can really hear Sondheim in it. And I had no idea what that meant. I was I, a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was my gateway drug to Sondheim. Um, and there's really only one song um, that we'll probably talk about later that sounds Sondheimian. Um, Ooh. It's, it's a really almost pastiche score. It sounds much more like Comden and Green than it does like Sondheim. Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't have a real Sondheim sound, which I guess when people think Sondheim, I guess they think like dissonance and, and uh, recitative and like sort of pattery stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely... It's weird to think how sort of uh, old school this score sometimes sounds, considering the fact at the time the score was kind of maligned by a lot of critics for not sounding conventional enough. Yeah, I think it was the the first vestige of critics saying that Sondheim doesn't write music that you can hum. Yes, we will get into that. This there's a lot going on with this show in terms of Sondheim and and his relationship with critics for sure. Right. But other than Bernstein, this is probably the most dissonant score that had been heard on Broadway in the history of Broadway at this time. You know, yeah. You've, you've got, um, I think Bernstein was writing Candide at the time, but other than Can- West Side so, Story- so Candide came out the year before West Side Story, but Candide was more operatic Yes. So it was. It wasn't. Candy was also like you know kind of harsh, uh, harshly criticized for the book not being funny enough, but the score was really interesting. And Forum is sort of the opposite, where everyone's like, the book is fantastic. The score, I don't know what they're doing there. Right. Um, you know, but other than Bernstein, this is the only dissonance on Broadway. Yeah. It's. Yeah, we'll get into it. Um. So. High school was your intro to Forum, and you've loved it ever since. And I've loved it ever since. It 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 is the lightest Sondheim, the most easily digestible. Mm-hmm. It's like obviously the lowest. Um, you know, I think everybody could go to this because it's a farce and mm-hmm. and enjoy this. Whereas like Pacific Overtures ain't the entryway drug for Sondheim. <laughs> I wouldn't even say Sunday in the Park with George is not the entry drug. Like you either get forum or you get into the woods. I don't know what you're talking about. I used to teach six-year-olds and I played them passion all the time. Oh my God. And they went, um, this is too basic for me. It'd be too Laura Benanti. Forum, I, I mean, how much of like the history of forum do you know? I feel like most theater people know the history of the opening number and not much else. Um, I actually know, I, I've read the uh, Sondheim biography and also Sondheim's autobiography, Book of Lyrics, um, mm-hmm. hat box situation. Um, so I probably know more. Is that the what other. they're actually called, the hat box? Or yeah, when you buy them together, the jacket says the hat box. That's amazing. I know. Some good marketing there on the part of the book publisher. Yeah. Um, I So I think I know more than the average bear, uh, but... You're not a bear. You're a cub. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> You're um, <laughs> Yeah, I would. F- I feel like I'm neither, but that's neither here nor there. No. Um. Uh. That being said, is there something particular you where a place you'd like to start in the history of forum? Um. 
Well, it's interesting because technically speaking, this is Sondheim's third show. First is composer lyricist, but it's the it he starts writing it before he writes Gypsy. Correct. So it's it's an interesting all so many of his, of his shows have an interesting timeline. Just like West Side Story had a very long product uh writing process but he was brought on sort of for the tail end of that gypsy had a famously very short process i think they wrote the whole thing in four months Mm -hmm. and this had a very long writing process so basically um i'll go with you know when sondheim joins the thing which is when uh bert shevlov and larry gelbert i think that's how you say their names i think yeah Mm -hmm. are writing what is originally called roman comedy which is a musical that they want to write that is a combination of a few different uh how do you say his name platus platus uh a uh, platus i believe cletus platus 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 what you eat Plut- off of platus platus yes <laughs> for, uh, for. yes the roman playwright platus uh it's a combination of a few of his different plays to create sort of this new low uh uh, farcical, uh, what's, what's uh, uh, low fare humor, uh, very vaudevillian. And Sondheim joins it after having success with West Side Story and then still using his score for Saturday Night as like audition material, mm-hmm. which um, the listeners will know Saturday Night was supposed to be Sondheim's Broadway debut, then the producer died, and he ended up using the songs he wrote for that as like audition material for other shows. It's what got him West Side Story. And it's what got him for him. So they're writing for him, but for him takes a very long time because uh, the librettists are so intent that the script be like as airtight as possible and that the whole thing just like fall into place. So they go through like 12 different drafts. And while they're writing for him, uh, Sondheim gets approached to write Gypsy, which he doesn't want to do because he's uh, first he's going to do the whole score. Then they say, no, you're just going to do lyrics. Merman doesn't want a new composer. So then Gypsy happens, and then Forum comes out three years later. And in those three years between Gypsy and Forum, that's where we're going to plunk ourselves into. Um, First, the show was having uh, sort of changed a lot of hands with producers. First, it was going to be Leland Hayward, and then it was David Merrick, who had just produced Gypsy for Sondheim. And the writers, Sondheim, Galbert, and Shevlov, wanted Jerome Robbins to direct and choreograph it. But Jerome Robbins wouldn't do it because he hated working with David Merrick on Gypsy. So the writer's like, great, David, we're going to buy this show back from you so Jerry can do the show. They buy it back. And then Jerome Robbins is like, actually, no, and walks away. <laughs> and so then they're having trouble. Uh, they get uh, Joshua Logan, who directed the original South Pacific and was infamous as a director for always having shows with um, tor- uh, naked torso men in it. Mm-hmm. He wanted changes made, made to form. My assumption is that he wanted men with their torsos shown yeah he's like so can philia be a boy and can she be naked all the time yes can all of the courtesans be men yes so those those proteans can we have nine of them can they look can they be buff and can they be essentially naked yes yes and they said no so he peed (laughs) yeah and so then jerome robbins is like oh psychologics should come back but i want hal prince to produce and hal prince is like great i'll produce it And then Jerome Robbins was like, I'm actually not sold on the script yet. Can you guys like do a reading of this for me? And they were like, what do you mean? No one had ever done a reading before. They were like, what are you talking about? Like you sell the show to the investors. You do it in the rehearsal room with actors before it goes out of town. And that's when you figure out if the show works. And he's like, no, like get a bunch of actors in a rehearsal room, have them do the show. 
Uh, and so in finishing the hat, sometimes like that was kind of the first workshop. I'm like, that was the first reading. There was no staging. It's not technically a workshop, Steve. Right. And and also in that book, he he goes on to talk about how bloated the workshop process becomes. And he's like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actors that don't know the, the material sitting around a table, just talking it out. Yeah. That's why most musicals have bad second acts. Musicals pre-forum mm-hmm. because they only had time to fix the first act out of town. Yeah. It's true. And a lot, well, I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily bad second acts, but rushed second acts. Cause they're like, well, we can't truly fix the second act, but we can make it shorter. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think he's being a little unfair to some of his predecessors. I think there are some good second acts before forum. Yes, there are certainly some, but more often than not, you know, a, a show only gets frozen because you run out of time to fix it. Sure. I mean, let's be clear. The last 20 minutes of Brigadoon make absolutely no sense. Don't don't know that I could tell you anything about the last 20 minutes of Brigadoon. I mean, most people can't. Okay. Yeah, sure. I, I think people who have done Brigadoon would come up to you and be like, Patrick, I've done Brigadoon. I can't explain. I don't remember any of it. It was right. a dream. They do, the, they do the reading. Jerome Robbins is like, okay, you know, you know what works, you know what doesn't. And then in classic Jerome Robbins fashion, he pieces out yet again for no good reason other than the fact that he's Jerome Robbins. Uh, so George Abbott agrees to direct it. And George Abbott, the big thing George Abbott brings in as a director is he doesn't like the opening number, which is called Invocation, an Introduction to the Audience. He says, I can't hum it. Uh, Sondheim says, fine. He writes a song called Love is in the Air, which is, you know, Abbott can hum and it's very light and it's frilly and they go out of town to Philadelphia and it bombs like reviews are like close this turkey up now and they don't know what to do they go to DC George Abbott's like I don't know what to do and so they finally get Jerome Robbins to come back and he says it's the opening number the opening number doesn't work because you're telling people this is going to be like a light affair and it's a body comedy so you need to write a song that does that. And Sondheim, being the petty bitch that he is, is like, I did that and George Abbott couldn't commit. And then Robbins, being the you know petty asshole that he is, says, well, write another one that he can hum, Steve. <laughs> it's called Water, Helen. <laughs> uh, oy, 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 oy. I, I love reading these stories where like creatives, because there's this, because there's no time to be nice and to like appease everyone's feelings. It's just like, no, just right, do just, it. Just do it. <laughs> just That's, do it. Do you, do you want, want me to hold to your hand? <laughs> yeah. Like money's on the line. We go, we go to New York in two weeks. Yeah. Um, and Sondheim famously then writes comedy tonight, which changes the whole game. And then which Jerry Robbins staged. Yes. And he stayed, he stages the whole thing and then state restages the chase sequence at the end. And apparently mm-hmm. Stage, uh, restages a handful of other numbers and then the show comes to Broadway and it's a huge huge hit runs for three years it's th- it's to date the, still the longest run on Broadway a Sondheim show has ever had oh wow yes I did not know yes 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 uh, and we'll get to all the rest of that when we finish talking about the show and go into the legacy another piece of information that I actually really love so also the show had a lot of casting switcheroonies uh, the show was written for Phil Silvers, who was famous from the Phil Silvers show. He read the script and didn't get it. He's like, this character is just like Sergeant Bilko. I played Sergeant Bilko. And they're like, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. And he's like, no. And then Milton Berle says he'll do it. But he's like, I want script approval. And they were like, the last person who wanted script approval was a director. And we told him no. What makes you think we'll say yes to you? So he goes out and then Zero Mostel does it. And the only reason he does it is because he first turns it down. And his wife's like, you've been out of work for so long because of the blacklist. 
this is money. I will kill you if you don't take this. Yes. So he does and ends up reviving his career. Um, and then on top of that, did you know that they fired the original Philia out of town and Hal Prince wanted to recast the lovers completely? No. So it's one of my favorite pieces of tea. This is in the Sondheim and Company book from the 70s that I think okay. Craig, either Craig Zayden or Neil Marin wrote, one of the two. Oh. Um, and so Hal Prince wanted actually funny people to play those roles, to play Philly and Hero. Mm-hmm. And the writers were like, no, the whole point is that they're pretty and dumb and basic. And so Hal Prince, and so Hal Prince brought in a then unknown Joel Gray and Barbara Harris as as his top choices to play mm. Philia and Hero to come into Broadway, and the creators were like, "Absolutely not! I, we we want nothing to do with these actors. Get them out of here." <gasps> oh, right. Yeah. I'm a, I'm I read that and I'm actually kind of pissed because yeah. I was like, "That sh- imagine what those roles could have been in with those actors." Yeah, absolutely. Ah, oh. because Joel, I've done a little bit of Sondheim cramming in the past few days. Joel Gray ended up. Oh, I. You, oh, I didn't see you in the in the basement. Were you in the basement too? <laughs> Ew, not Sondheim <laughs> cramming. <laughs> Ew. Every episode, baby, I'm gonna bring it up in every episode. Good. Um, I came across his name in the past couple of days. That's a bad story, but he's what? he floats around the Sondheim universe in the Sondheim early years before mm. he becomes famous. Yes, he's, he's sort of like an almost was and then never is. Correct. Yeah. And it's, but I mean, the idea of him in that role with Barbara Harris's Philia, like these are people who are, you know, in their youth, attractive people. Like it's not as if we're taking like Phil Silvers and putting him in the role of hero. We're getting like cute people who also happen to be very unique and very funny and talented. Right. Um, Not just sort of like prototypes, but you know, the, the writers very much wanted prototypes. And I, and I think it works that way. But part of me is like, imagine what it could have been with those two. And like, maybe what the, how, like how we cast those roles afterwards. Yeah, I do think 90% of productions of Forum could be better if you cast funny people across the board. Yeah. And, and kind of went, did away with the stock character mm-hmm. um, idea. It's just like unimaginative, you know, people throwing it up in a couple of weeks. I get it. But a really great production of Forum would have just comedians across the board. Yes. Which isn't to say that like the most drop dead stunning philia can't be funny. Like there are gorgeous human beings, you know, like models who can be hysterical. Absolutely. I have, but like imagine like what a young Leslie Kritzer could do as philia. Totally. I feel like she'd be hysterical. I mean, the first time I ever heard the song Lovely was Ruthie Henshaw in Putting It Together. And her Lovely is fantastic. And it's funny as hell. Right. Um, and she's, you know, a stunning woman. So like, it could work. Do it. Lovely and that'll show him like are truly have the potential to bring down the house. They do. Yeah. And with, so yeah, we'll get into that in a second. So um, you know what? Anything else you want to add to the um, backstory of Forum before we get into it? Um, no, we, we talked about Phil Silvers. He ended up playing it in the revival. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Um, bit of trivia, when Jerry Robbins came in to direct comedy tonight, mm-hmm. uh, he had given up names to the McCarthy trials, mm-hmm. one of whom was Jack Guilford's wife. Um, Jack Guilford played Hysteria. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and obviously Zero Mostel had been blacklisted. Mm-hmm. So there was like some some anti-Robbins sentiment amongst the cast. And they had to like uh how Prince had to go around to the cast and say, like, you can either have a job and let Jerry do this show mm-hmm. or be mad about it. Um yeah. so you know, people gave up their morals a little bit for the for a paycheck, but yeah. Well, and also because you know, everyone that I've read, and I talked about this with the West Side episode as well. Absolutely, everyone who talks about Drum Robbins is like, "Oh, he was a monster," and I'd work for him again in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, because I I said a very controversial opinion with West Side, which is like, and you don't need to say anything because I know that you're much more in the industry than I am, which is that while we have so talented and really intelligent directors and choreographers these days i would not use the word genius for any of them jerome robbins is one of those like once in a lifetime geniuses and i would argue he actually wasn't that smart like we have directors now who are smarter than jerome robbins ever was like as a human being and more articulate but in terms of just the sheer vision and um ability to just physically understand what a show needed and like what theater can do and how to push the boundaries like that's the kind of like Mozart level of genius I'm talking about yeah I I would agree and I would agree Sondheim is in that echelon as well absolutely very different fields but yes Sondheim is that same kind of genius um where it's like is able to tap into something that really no one else can um and it's not meant to like make anyone feel bad about themselves it's just you know we throw that word around pretty willy-nilly these days and like you need to understand what that actually means because the only reason that all these people who hated Jerome Robbins would work for him again is because of the genius. Like Zero Mostel works for him again in Fiddler on the Roof. Like like it with all that baggage behind them. So that tells you something. And Zero Mostel was also an opinionated, stubborn asshole. So the fact that he would do that tells you something. Yeah, absolutely. And and it was at that point that Jerome Robbins was breaking breaking the American musical theater to build it anew. Like we haven't done that since West Side Story. Yeah. uh, Directorially. Yeah. Um, I talked about it with West Side as well. The whole creative team of West Side Story talks about after the fact, when they are asked about the legacy of West Side and being so beloved, they're like, West Side was never supposed to be the linchpin. It was supposed to be a stepping stone. We were hoping that people would pick up the torch from us afterwards and just nobody did. One of my favorite forum in pop culture things because forum is one of those shows that doesn't really pop up in other things as a pop culture reference weirdly enough even though it's popular and done all the time like not in a way that you know people make jokes about west side story or sweeney todd did you ever watch mad men i did not it's on my list but you are aware of its existence yes yes absolutely yes so it takes place in the 60s you know the whole show is over the course of that decade Mm -hmm. and It's in New York City and in the 60s, you know, theater is a big currency to quote when Harry met Sally. Restaurants are to people in the 80s, but theater was to people in the 60s. Don't you love my brain sometimes? Don't you talk? It's insane. (laughs) Don't you love talking to me and going, oh, I'm so glad I chose to know you? (laughs) Well, no, because it is all things that are also in the recesses of my mind, but they Mm -hmm. are so, so front of mouth for you that it is like truly amazing. Listen, I can neither sew nor cook nor read or write my name, but I can quote things all the damn time. Sure. Give but it so to there's Nora Ephron. <laughs> so, so, Nora Ephron, yes. so there's a scene in Mad Men 
and because they're advertising executives and they have clients and they're always taking the clients to see like whatever the hot show is. So they talk about, you know, Oliver and Fiddler and Hello Dolly and eventually hair. But I think it's season two or three, uh, Don played by John Hamm is at a restaurant with his sort of mistressy person of the moment. And he runs into his ex-girlfriend with her now fiance. And the fiance can tell like that there's history there. And they, it's this very tense exchange. And uh, he says, oh, honey, we better get moving if we want to make that curtain. And he looks at the uh, Donna's mistress and he says very proudly, we've got tickets to Forum tonight. And the girlfriend goes, oh, it's wonderful. And it's my favorite exchange on that show because the only thing better than having tickets to the exclusive thing is having had tickets to the exclusive thing before that other person. Yes. Yes. So let's get into Forum. Let's get into a funny thing happened on the way to the Forum. Oh, we love. We open with one of the greatest opening numbers of all time. And it's not just because of the history of it. It truly is just a wonderful opening number. It's truly amazing. I actually would argue, I think it's Sondheim's best opening number. Uh, in terms of number and not sequence, I would agree with you. So, yes, we're not including like the whole of the prologue of Into the Woods. We're not including like the first 20 minutes of Sunday or any, anything like that. Right, yes. Um, I, I do think it's Sondheim's best opening number. Yeah, because it it does tell the audience what the show is going to be. It's fun. It's not funny itself, and that would, that's actually on purpose, because Jerome Robbins told Sondheim, don't write jokes, write a song for me to make jokes. Correct. And it works, it works so well, and it's zippy, and the, just the way that the whole thing goes, it's exciting. Something familiar, something Something for everybody Coming tonight Nothing that's grim Nothing that's Greek She plays Medea later this week Now, when I sent you your media syllabus, did you watch any of the syllabus that I sent you? I did. I watched the whole thing. Oh, well, okay. Listen, I send it to, I send my syllabuses to all my guests and I say, you don't have to use any of this. I know it's a lot, but like, should you want to, this is what I'll be referencing. I'm a good student. <laughs> you're, you're a great student. Well done. I, I sent you the video of the whole production, but then I specifically sent you a video of the Nathan Lane version of the opening. Cause I think it's such a good job. I think it is, is it's the make or break moment for the, for the show, for the production. Mm -hmm. um, and it does require a really smart director choreographer mm -hmm. uh, because there aren't any jokes written in um, and you have to set the tone about how funny your production is going to be. Mm -hmm. um, and it, first of all, Nathan Lane is like the epitome of a perfect pseudolus. Yes. Um, someone that is welcoming, but also a clown. Mm -hmm. um, with, an, with this inherent... Uh, what's the wrong word? Instinct of what an audience wants and what the, and what's going to take them by surprise. He's yes. so good about leading them down one path and then steering the other way. Yeah, um, and I think the staging of that that ninety six opening number does the same thing mm -hmm. um, because just when you think you have gotten the joke, mm -hmm. there's that there's a new joke. There are like some curtain gags, some fake legs, um, 
and the, and the whole business where they open the curtain twice and it is a tragedy and Mary Testa mm-hmm. screaming over the, the headless baby. Yeah, oh, it's so great. Mary Testa's screaming is so good because she's doing it in a way where it's like, she's clearly an actress in a tragedy. So she's not like, I don't know, she's like doing all the motions, but in a way of like, I've been staged to be traumatic. It's yes. so good. And then Nathan Lane shouts at them, tragedy tomorrow, comedy tonight. It's so funny. Uh, and for anyone who wants to know what the song Love is in the Air, which is the song that Comedy Tonight replaced, if you want to know what that sounds like, watch The Birdcage because Robin Williams and Christine Bransky sing it. Is that true? Yeah. When was the last time you watched The Birdcage? Uh, years. It's been years. <laughs> Definitely watch it again. First of all, it super holds up. Uh, but on top of that, it's like Sondheim is involved in that movie. He even writes a song for the movie. The scene where Nathan Lane is practicing the new nightclub number. Sure. That's originally written by Sondheim for the movie. And the first time Nathan Lane's performing on stage in costume, he's singing Can That Boy Foxtrot, which is a cut song from Follies. Mm -hmm. But then when Robin Williams goes to visit Christine Baranski in her office to be like, come to this dinner tonight and pretend to be my wife for our son. She's like, do you remember our old number in the show we did? And they do Love is in the Air. Oh, sure. It it was in um, the latest Broadway Sondheim review, I believe. In Sondheim on Sondheim. Yes, they yes. did it. They did like a, a, a what's we're looking for? Uh, they show like the journey of that number. Of, they start with the invocation into Love is in the Air, into Comedy Tonight. They yes. did the same thing with Being Alive, where it was um, Multitudes of Amy, into Happily Ever After, into Being Alive. Right. Yes. I liked that review. I really did too. And it was actually amazing to see Barbara Cook um, mm-hmm. just before she passed uh, because you were like one this is there there is so much history in this woman mm-hmm. and it, it was such a feat because she was so old just for her to stand up mm-hmm. <laughs> for her numbers yeah that it was like such an accomplishment absolutely know. and for her to sound how she did I, yeah. listen I'm a Judy Kuhn stan I'm a Donna Murphy fan I loved Barbara Cook's I Read. I preferred that to most I Reads. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't amazing. Uh, yeah. Any other thoughts on comedy tonight before we move on? I do think, unlike Sondheim's big sequences where mm-hmm. he gives you a lot of exposition, um, the big chunk of the first half of the show is exposition. It's the it's the trope of like every character comes out and sings a song, introducing mm-hmm. themselves. Um, but you don't get any of that information in comedy tonight. No. Um, which does make it feel a little bit like a parade for the first half hour of mm-hmm. the show of like, here's a character. He's going to tell you what's up. Here's a character. She's going to tell you what's up. Um, so I think had Sondheim, I don't know, were Sondheim to rewrite this show, mm-hmm. I think more would be put inside of comedy tonight than it is and just make the the first part of the show zip a little bit more. Yeah, I th- well, yeah, I think if it were Sondheim, yeah, if it were Sondheim writing today, he would definitely want to make it more integrated because the score is not integrated, um, and that's sort of by design. It's meant to sort of be, you know, sort of like stop saying, stop saying, and it's one of the things that always has bugged him about the show. What I, what's interesting to me about Sondheim in his early career is like all the things he wished he would have done differently, and it's sort of like no, really, don't change it because it it works as it's supposed to work. You're just looking back on it as the artist you are today and how you would do it today and so with forum he's always like well the songs aren't funny they're clever they're not funny and they kind of stop the action but when you read interviews with the book writers it's interesting like Sondheim is so down on his own score for the most part but the book writers are the ones who defend it they're like 
the score is needed because without it, then the show becomes relentless and you need that breathing room and the songs have a lot of energy to them and an effervescence to them. So it not only like, does it give the audience a break from the madness, it's a pleasant and like, it doesn't feel like a break. It feels like a continuation. So yeah. Yeah. And sometimes later work, you have to lean forward and, and listen into because mm-hmm. there's so much insight into the character mm-hmm. in, in the song. But in Forum, you do that for the book and you sit back and, and let the songs wash over you in a way. Yeah. Because at times they are so clever that you can't catch it. Yeah. In the moment, because it's set over such like bouncy, fun music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the wordplay is so intricate that you like, only if you're really listening hard will you get it. But that's not what they're there for. They're there so that you just like smile a little bit while these two people sing. I'm always hard when I'm listening to the song time, but that's neither here nor there. My goal is to make Patrick so uncomfortable that at some point he just walks out of this episode and yeah, he's just like, just I can't anymore. Matt closes the computer. We talked about this, Matt. You can't be sexual all the time. Sometimes you have to call it a day. Uh, 2021's off to a great start. So <laughs> we move along and this is where the parade of characters truly begin as each character comes out. We have three houses, the house of Marcus Lycus, which is basically a brothel. He sells courtesans. And then we have the house of Senex, who is a Roman senator who lives with his wife, uh, Domina or Domina? Domina. Domina, yes. That's what I figured, like like dominating. And then their son, Hero. And then next to them is the house of Aronius, which every time they say the name, I laugh, um, which has been empty for years because he's been searching the world for his children who have been kidnapped by pirates. And Senex and Domina are leaving for a while to visit Domina's parents. And uh, Domina has a slave, Hysterium, who is hyster- hysterical all the time. And, like, I has a collection of pornography, but they're just pornographic vases. Is that the joke? It's something like that. Y- yes. You know, he's able to be blackmailed because he has a lot of erotic pottery, <laughs> which I think they put into the script because of the internal rhyme more so than anything else. And the ability to talk about porn without talking about porn. Yes. The show is very body without being too body. They, it's a lot of implication. They never outright say anything. Right. Very 1960, but pre-sexual revolution. Exactly. Exactly. It's like always just sort of towing the line. And that's something that Bert Shevlov hated about Zero Mostel is because Zero Mostel would always get bored with the show after like the first month or so and would start doing new things and he would start mm. changing dialogue. So there's a line where Pseudolus says, I need a body. How can I get a body? Oh, so-and-so, the body snatcher. He owes me a favor. And Shevlov's like, I love that line because it's so crazy like that a body snatcher would owe you a favor. But Zero Mastel one night changed it to like, oh, so-and-so, the body snatcher. He owes me a snatch. And he's like, well, that's now, j- that's just crude. Um, Hero turns to the audience and announces something to us which is that he's in love with love one of the courtesans with, with one of the courtesans who he's never met before. He just You're sees correct. her. He just sees her on the balcony. Uh, any thoughts on love? I hear, I really don't have any thoughts on it. It's a really lovely song. It was my go-to audition song in college. Of course it was. Those, those are my only thoughts. <laughs> the only time that I think love I hear is actually funny. And it's one of those things that I find funny, but I can imagine 1400 people wouldn't actually laugh at it is when hero Hero's basically saying, like, I think I'm in love, but I don't know. I'm only going off of what I've been told love is. And he goes, I have all these symptoms. And he's um, 
he just like goes into this little um, bridge and then he references the bridge as an example of what he's doing. And I just, I like that meta-ness and he goes, hmm, I hum a lot too. And I don't know, that just makes me giggle. I like it when something sort of calls itself out but isn't too obvious about it. I pine, I blush, I squeak, I squawk. Today I woke too weak to walk. What's love I hear? I feel, I fear I'm in. See what I mean. We find out that Pseudolus is the slave of Hero. Pseudolus is always getting in trouble because he's always trying to find ways to get free. A lot of the pseudolus stuff I feel like is actions that like if a seven-year-old had better vocabulary and more agency, it's like that kind of smart Halleck stuff where it's taking things at face value. Don't do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's kind of like the uh the Dolly syndrome in that the part <laughs> is only as good as the actor. Yes. Um, yes. and only as funny as the actor is funny in their specific brand of comedy. Mm-hmm. With Zero Mostel, Pseudolus becomes this like big, you know, just like a big character, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of body and raunchy. And larger and than lo- life, for sure. And low. Um, but they actually, you know, they wrote it for Phil Silvers, who's kind of more like effeminate and silly and British. Yeah, and, and cheeky. It's yes. It's very that. If you ever want to see Phil Silvers in action, you can rent the movie or watch the movie Summerstock. He plays Gene Kelly's best friend in that. And that is a very classic example of the kind of energy that Phil Silvers was known for. He also plays Lycus in the film version. Yes, he does indeed. Hero tells Pseudolus, get me that girl. And if I do, then you are free. And then we have the song that begins the overture, which has, I I just, I love the melody in this. The lyrics are really clever, and because the melody is, as you said, like this is a song where I think the melody is so bubbly, a lot of the lyrics actually get lost, um, which is a shame because the lyrics are very clever. Yeah, and and a lot of these songs are one joke songs, and Sondheim admits to it in um, Finishing the Hat that it is a spooling out of one joke. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in this particular case, it's here are all of the things that I could do if I were free, B section but my life is pretty great as it is. Mm-hmm. And then all hero has to do is say the word free to get you back to the A joke. And, and it does set, it does humanize Pseudolus. You know, he's not just a clown. He like, this is his big want and mm-hmm. he will do anything for this, this want. And I guess all of these initial songs are that. They're just- There are weirdly a lot of I want songs in forum. Yeah. Um, Domina has one at the top of hack two, which I'm like, that's brave. Yep. <laughs> And an I want song at the top of Act Two for a character we don't see for most of Act One. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I like the song. And in fact, we'll get to it at the end of the episode with um, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, what's it to, like? Round Robin or like Spitfire uh, section? Which fat? I'm, I'm, I don't rapid know. Rapid Fire. I, rapid Fire. Yes. God damn it. <laughs> I don't know words. I'm done. I'm post-verbal. Can you see me as a Roman with my head unbowed? Sing it good and loud. Free. Like a Roman having rights and like a Roman proud. Can you see me 
I can see you. Can you see me as a boat of fighting craft? Vice, sing it soft and nice. Free. Why, I'll be so conscientious that I may vote twice. Can you see me? Can you see me? When I'm free to be Free is an interesting song because it has this... It is a one-joke song, but Sondheim being Sondheim has to have all these internal conflicts in it. Because as you said, Pseudolus keeps going back and forth of all the things I could do if I were free. What if I don't want to be free? No, I do want to be free. But is it so good to be free? Like, it's a one-joke song because Sondheim's like, no, I want it to be a mini Rose's turn. Yes. (laughs) There is a lyric in it that uh, is my personal favorite lyric in the show. And it doesn't really count because he actually wrote it for the movie version of this song. Which uh-huh. is because um, he constantly says like, "Can you see me? I can see you," and he has a line in the revamped version for the movie, which I think they did a version of for the '96 revival, which is essentially like him being at the Roman baths, like with all the steam, and he says to Hero, "Can you see me?" And Hero goes, "No, it's steamy." <laughs> I like that. It's, it's my favorite yeah, lyric funny. on the show. Yeah. So we move on. He says, "Yeah, I'll do it." Uh, and then we have a big dance piece, which is the House of Marcus Lycus, where Pseudolus tries to get Philia the courtesan to come out and puts on airs to Marcus Lycus. Oh, I have money. I want a courtesan. Show me all the courtesans you have. And we have a parade of leggy chorus girls. Each with a different dance arrangement to represent her personality. Yes, which is basically uh, code for her sexual preference or uh, flavor. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Yes, each courtesan's quote-unquote personality is what they can do in bed. Exactly. Yes. He says something about like one has the pelvis of a cheetah or something like that. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Yes, and there are like some some really offensive jungle drums. Yeah, yeah. We have to remember the decade it came out in. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. I, I am not one to fault for them. No, it has its... It ha- it's less of things that are problematic and more things that just haven't aged well because they were things that were in fashion at the time and comedy is the thing that probably ages fastest of anything so yeah and i will say that i I do think the comedy they knew it was offensive even the 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 gender politics Mm -hmm. i i could make a case that they knew it was offensive when they wrote it like um how to succeed in a way i think there's there's more knowing in the writing than we give it credit for. Um, you know, a secretary is not a toy. I don't believe was written in earnest. No, absolutely S- not. Similarly, uh, you know, uh, these, especially the Philia stuff. You know, this courtesan stuff. I think they they knew it was like we don't really treat women like this, but in Roman times. I do not think that the writers of Forum think that all women are basically either idiots like Philia or dowdy, you know, like shrews, shrews like Domina. Domina or sexual objects like all the courtesans. But it is the style of the show and it is the, com- I don't want to say it's commentary because it's not commentary, but it's a very specific kind of show that they've written. And you, and I think you know that the writers don't feel that way because all three of them went on to write other things that actually are much more um, complimentary of women and have much more complex female characters. So for them to write that, write those things after forum shows you like this was a very specific uh, genre that they were tackling. And also like nobody comes out of the show necessarily looking great. Everyone is basically one color. Absolutely. Yeah. 
um you know maybe pseudolus comes out the best but that's just because pseudolus has the most stage time everybody else is either like horny or dumb or uh crazy It's, it's a lot of stuff yeah yeah um so yes while the gender politics aren't great to it is everyone is equally one dimensional yes i believe that that is true yes um so then we move on to lovely where hero and philia finally meet lovely what is it who is it who is she what does she want (laughs) philia sings that she only is has been taught one thing and that is to be lovely she can neither so nor cook nor nor read or write her name her name but she's lovely and and that is okay with her and it's okay with hero too yeah oh yeah it they make it very clear that this love is does not run deep it runs pure but not deep Ophelia latches onto Hero pretty quickly. She latches onto anybody that walks by. That's true. I uh do they I suppose they do kiss in the course of the song, but you know, yeah. If sex work is work and she's been taught one thing and she so at this point in the show is very good at it. Or so so we think she hasn't had sex yet. She's been taught how to have sex well, she just hasn't done it yet. Right. But she she has kept her virtue up to now and, you know, yes. protests. And yeah, she at, won't at have first. sex with Hero because she has to wait for the man who's purchased her. Exactly. Yes. Um, it actually has one of my favorite jokes. That's actually one of my favorite jokes in form is at one point uh, in a mad dash of slamming doors and hiding bodies in places, Pseudolus says to Philly, like, you know, uh, you wait. Like, he like puts around doors, like, now you wait. And then he turns to the audience and he goes, that's what virgins do best, right? It's, it's just so fun. We, we can't send the gods a charred virgin. So they fall in love and uh, Pseudolus, to help Hero get Philia, convinces Marcus Lycus that Philia, who Marcus Lycus has just recently purchased from Crete, that she actually has a plague that's contagious and she needs to be quarantined in Hero's house until she's no longer contagious, which Lycus buys because this is for him. And he sings, Pseudolus sings Pretty Little Picture, which is essentially like him plotting out how to get Philia and Hero to elope, I suppose. Yes. It's the it's the plan to get them in the boat, in the harbor, and away. Yes. Um, and this is the song that I think sounds like Sondheim. It's Sondheim Light. It is Sondheim Light. Um, you know, they're, the, the harmonic structure is dissonant like Sondheim. If you played it legato, it would sound like it was from sunday or something like that um that's an interesting musical experiment oh yeah to just like i might do it i'll send you a i'll send you an mp3 of it send me an mp3 we'll drop it in right here (laughs) (laughs) um yeah what it's interesting about this song for me is that it was this was one of those songs that sondheim wrote for phil silvers like when they were creating the script for this personality and when they did the first revival of Phil Silvers, they cut the song because Phil Silvers couldn't perform it. That I did not know. That is funny. Like, I, like, I don't know if he didn't... I mean, granted, he was maybe 10 years older at that point than he would have been when they first pitched him the show. Mm-hmm. But I don't... From what I understand, he didn't really have the breath support to do it and, like, couldn't really get all the words out. So they just cut it. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I just love that song. I was like, I wrote this for Phil Silvers. I thought he would have really slayed it, and then he tried it and couldn't now do it. Put a boy on the starboard side, leaning out of the rail. Next to him put a blushing bride, slim and slender and starry-eyed. Down below put a tiny bed, the sun gets pale, the sea gets red, and off they sail on the first high tide, the boat and the bed and the boy and the bride. It's a pretty little picture, oh my, pretty little picture, how true, pretty little picture. So then Philia is put into Hero's house while um, Pseudolus is going to make a sleeping potion for her, I suppose, make her look dead for when the captain... Miles, or yeah, Miles, or no, Miles, Miles, Miles Gloriosus, Miles Gloriosus. This is why I have you around. Wait, while they wait for Miles Gloriosus to come, they're gonna give her a sleeping potion to make her look dead, and then when he walks away, they'll have Philia elope. So in the meantime, Philia has to uh, stay in Hero's house, and they said, "We'll knock on the door three times when the captain arrives." Meanwhile, Hero's dad Senex shows up, old, 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 old Senex, and knocks on the door three times to get them to open it for them. Philia opens it hearing the three knocks and says, take my body, I'm yours. And Senex is like, great, no questions here. <laughs> Truly, like, gets right to it. Yeah, well, like, t- like, to be fair, Patrick Sulkin, I can say that if I came into my apartment and Chris Pine opened the door and he said, you and I will be having sex today, I would not question it for a minute. Ex- yeah, you would say... Oh, okay. Right here. Fantastic. Yeah. Time is of the essence. Go, 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 go. Uh, which then leads Pseudolus to covering up why Philly is in the house. Who, who is she? Why she's offering herself to Senex. She's not a courtesan who's in love with your son. She's a new maid, which then leads to one of the famous songs from Forum, Everybody Ought to Have a Maid. It's it's one of those... Um, uh the conceit in forum is that like every line that you think should come right before a song does come right before a song. <laughs> Essentially this isn't it, but Pseudolus says like, she's the new maid and Senex says a new maid. And then there's the bell tone and then they start the song. <laughs> yeah. Basically forum is one of those shows where people who hate musical theater, cause in their minds, it's always like songs popping up out of nowhere for no reason. Forum is that show. It's but the inten- worst nightmare in that story. Yes, exactly. But it's but it's intentionally so. So like um the the joke I always make on this podcast essentially is, you know, before the Rogers and Hammerstein era of writing musicals, a lot of shows would be like, Hey Patrick, what day is it today? It's Tuesday, it's Tuesday. <laughs> like it, that was a lot of songs. It it wasn't like overnight with Oklahoma. It, def- it definitely progressed to there, probably starting with Showboat. Mm-hmm. But I would, yeah, I would definitely say before Showboat officially, every show, that's what, that's how songs were introduced in a, in a musical. It was right. very like bell tone, song, songs over, move on with the plot. A maid, a maid, a maid, a maid. Everybody ought to have a maid. Everybody ought to have a serving girl, a loyal and unswerving girl who's quieter than a mouse. Oh. Oh, think of her at the dustbin, especially when she's just been traipsing about. It's certainly a fun song, um, but it is the same thing in in its form three times. Mm-hmm. Um, that you, a new male character comes on stage, and yeah. then they all sing the chorus again. It's so well. So what it is really is like it's a takeoff of. Um, brush up your Shakespeare from Kiss Me Kate, where it's the same thing over and over again. And the 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 song doesn't build with each encore. It's just, it's a 
it's another chance for the performers to do something new with slightly different lyrics or the same idea. And that's sort of the fun of it all. What I wish revivals of forum would eventually do. And I don't know if, I don't think the 96 one did it is I would like for them to find a way to like really build each encore. Cause the 99 kiss me Kate with Marin Maisie and Brian Stokes Mitchell, they did a really good job of having each encore of brush up your Shakespeare built to something. So it's like these two gangsters singing. It's sort of, off the cuff and with each encore they get more confident and more professional so by the last encore they're like basically broadway showmen yes and and each time the audience the joke is that the audience thinks it's thinks it's over each time yes and then it just keeps coming back like crabs then i'm calm which is hysterium's big number which is you know all it is is just him saying i'm calm and he's clearly not yeah, again, a, a one joke. <laughs> Very so. much one joke. It's, it's, it's just a showcase for whoever your actor is. If you have a Jack Guilford or a Mark Lynn Baker who can really milk this kind of thing. Absolutely. And, and this one, I think, has my favorite lyric in the show when we, when we come back to rapid fire round. Rapid fire round. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that nine times so I can remember the rapid fire rapid round. Fire round. Yeah. Yes. Oh, before the the song, there's a bit of plot. Um, Oh, no, it's actually, no, sorry. I take that back. Uh, it's after I'm calm that Erroneous shows up. It's, yes. Oh, the best character in the play. What does it say about the show that I couldn't remember if a plot point happens before or after a song? <laughs> right. Like, imagine if I'm like, oh, you know, in Gypsy, when June runs away, you know, after after Together, wherever we go. Right. Oh, no, wait, that's it's that's before everything's coming to process. Never mind. These songs <laughs> are interchangeable. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's very much that. Yeah, no, and so, it involves a character named Erroneous. <laughs> yes, he's because he is erroneous. Yeah. Or you think he's erroneous until the very end. <laughs> until the very end. Until the very end. We'll get to her. Um, erroneous comes back after years and years of not finding his children. And he decides he's going to go into his house because he's given up. But he can't do that because uh, Pseudos and Asterium have put Senex into Erroneous's house to take a bath. Uh, to sort of stall him while they try to figure out what to do with Philia. And they put him in Erroneous's house because in their minds, like Erroneous hasn't been in that house for years. It's fine. He's not going to show up. And of course the day they put Senex in the house is the day Erroneous shows up. Totally. So they convince Erroneous that there's, that his house is haunted and he needs to do something to get rid of the spirits. And there's a great bit where Pseudolus dresses up as a soothsayer to convince him that the house is filled with spirits and tell him what he needs to do. There's a great visual gag that I'm not going to do any justice to because podcasts are famously not a visual medium yes. where Erroneous is watching Pseudolus as the soothsayer uh, predict what he's going through while Hysterium is behind Erroneous miming out to Pseudolus what's, what he needs to say. So he's like, he's like miming, looking, and Pseudolus is like, oh, you've been searching, oh, for your babies. And Hysterium puffs up his chest and does muscu- muscular arms and Pseudolus goes, oh, uh, two kids. One is a big, big boy. And then Hysterium starts limping his wrist and showing off his cleavage. And Pseudolus goes, and another little strange boy. <laughs> no, no, a girl, a girl, a girl. A girl, a girl. A girl. I, don't, I think that that's actually very um, uh, gay positive, homo positive of the show for Pseudolus to have absolutely no judgment call whatsoever to see a limp person go, oh, clearly that's an effeminate man. Totally fine. 
so yes, they tell Erroneous he has to walk around Rome seven times to get rid of the spirits, which then leads into the best recurring gag of the show is every like 15 minutes from then on, Erroneous just crosses the station and goes, lap one. <laughs> and then 15 minutes later, plot happens, plot happens, you almost you forget. And then Erroneous walks across the station and he's like, lap two. It's great. Um, then... Senex and Hero see Philia on the roof. They both wave to her. Philia waves at both of them. They see that she's waving to both of them and they go, who's she waving to? And they sing Impossible. And this is one of the few songs that Sondheim thinks is actually funny. Yeah, and, and he does not praise the writing. I think he just thinks the situation is so funny that he didn't have to write a particularly good or clever song. Um, I do think that the song is funny, but I agree with him that it is the really the only situation that lends itself to true comedy and not wittiness in the show. Yes. Um, you know, Senex makes a, I can't perform joke and that is going to win over alliteration and assonance every time. Absolutely. It's what I, I do like how the song, they both go through the same thought process just from different perspectives. Like they both go like, oh, she can't be into him. He's old. She can't be into him. He's too young and inexperienced. And then they go, wait a second, he's kind of young. And then he's like, wait a second, he's kind of experienced. And then it's like, oh shit, I'm old. Oh shit, I'm inexperienced. Ah, I, I, it, they basically come to the same conclusion that the other one started with by the end of the song, which I think is very funny. Yes, and I think, I have it right in front of me. Do they go, oh no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, they, they absolutely flip they don't and don't go back to their original opinions yeah exactly and there's a, a great joke where Senex tries to lie about his age he's like oh he's 20 and i'm 39 okay 45 50 okay I, I draw the line at 50 yes i will tell you i'm 50 then we get to bring me my bride because miles gloriosus has arrived and he wants his courtesan he wants his bride he wants his baby and pseudolus says okay great he tells hysterium get philia to drink the sleeping potion she won't drink it so she can't come out and then they lose her all of a sudden um is that correct they they i think they lose philia they send her to the roof yeah but then they can't either they can't find her or pseudolus lies that they can't find her oh no you know pseudolus pseudolus runs out of lies so he just says oh we can't find her yes um she's still in the house she's still in the house yes i I, sometimes you just can't tell what's truth what's lies you know (laughs) just like the movie big fish forum has its fingers in all of these pies Mm -hmm. uh yes pseudo is basically like he's run out of lies he's his like he's hit his ceiling of inventiveness he's like i'm out i'm tapped out the well is dry it's like we we can't find her and milas is like what and he's about to kill him and then Pseudolus says, may I have a word, please? And he says, you get one word, better make it a good one. And Pseudolus's one word is what, Patrick? Intermission. Bam. So like I said, I was not as familiar with form as you were when we went on to do this. And I texted you, I think yesterday, mm-hmm. while I was watching it. Do you remember what I texted you? You said, bold to have three quarters of your musical be act one. <laughs> I was like, no one told me 70% of forum is just the first act. And that is very bold. So intermission's over. And Pseudolus, uh says he will go in search for Philia. Gloriosus is like, you're going to take my men with you who are uh, the Proteans. Right? That's their names? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been so long since we started recording and I'm very hungry. And I, <laughs> my memory is starting to... Uh, fail me 
So Pseudolus goes off in search for Philia, quote unquote, in search for Philia. And who should come back that very same day but Domina? To sing her I Want song at the top of act two. Because where better place to have an I Want song than the top of act two? It's like having your act one finale in the middle of act two or middle of act one. Domina is the role to have because you are on stage for the first 10 minutes Mm -hmm. and then you're off for that endless act one. You you get an hour break and Mm -hmm. intermission. You could watch a whole episode of the Americans playing Domina. Absolutely. It and is such a princess track. Like, have a really fierce act too. Yeah, I mean, I would say Domina and uh, Miles Gloriosis are probably the two roles to have because Miles also shows up for the opening. Doesn't have to be there for the scene afterwards, which Domina does. Doesn't show up until the last like six minutes of Act One, and then you know is there for the rest of Act Two. So yes. like, those are the two big princess tracks. Yes, which which we love to see. We love to have. We- <laughs> yes, Domina's big I want song that dirty old man. Um. This is a very odd song, just in general, I think. It is. And again, Sondheim talks in his book, like really pinpoints this as a one joke song. Mm -hmm. And the joke is Domina loves Senex and wants him, but also is mad at him. And Mm -hmm. the stand-in for Senex is Hysterium that she like clutches to her breast and then throws on the floor and she's belting and then she's singing in head voice. Um, So it's it's a showstopper for this woman. It's only like two minutes and three seconds long. Um, And the thing about these one joke songs in this show is that Sondheim didn't overstay his welcome. So like a lot of these songs are less than, you know, two minutes and 30 seconds, which is shocking for Sondheim. There are, there are some YouTube composers who could take a lesson from Sondheim and Forum. Yes, brevity. Somewhere, cavorting with someone young and fair, disporting in every shameless whim. Just wait till I get my hands on him. She then decides to dress up uh, virginally, ironically, in the exact same garbs that Philia is in, and she will spy on Senex to see if he's actually cheating on her. Um, and that's, and then we see Philia get mistaken as a courtesan. And like a, it's a weird like moment. It pays off towards the end of the show, but it's weird when it happens. Yes, things start to fall apart here. <laughs> yes, intentionally. Yes, absolutely. This is this, the 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 poo is very slowly hitting the fan, mm-hmm. like little little chunks. Then we have Philia's next big song, which I mean, truly kind of comes out of nowhere, as most of these songs do. But it's Philia's best song, in my opinion. Yes, this this one has. The other songs are vaguely related to the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, I think, is such a good song that they just didn't cut it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what makes the song work? So similar to that'll sh- uh, similar to um that dirty old man or even free, which is sort of like part of the humor comes from the reaction of the person who it's being sung to. Mm-hmm. That'll show him, which is Philia's song to Hero, where she sings like, I have a plan of how we're gonna get back at the captain. And because she's Philia, her plan is stupid right. and the, basically the plan is you know 
he can have my body because that's you know what he paid for but my heart belongs to you so when i'm with him i'm gonna pretend i'm with you which means when i make love to him i'm gonna make the love to him so hard because i'm gonna pretend it's you and he's gonna he's gonna get it and like that'll show him how much i love you yeah morning and night morning and night squeeze him tight um you know Again, if this were written today, some of the lyrics might be a little dirtier. Ride him all night long, that kind of thing. Right. But, or maybe that's just a fiber writing for him. <laughs> yes. Not it's a good thing I did. It's a good thing I didn't write for him. These lyrics would be dirty. Filthy. Filthy. You know, sit on his face for a while. See how that'll show him. Yes. What does, I think Sondheim should write that as a lyric. That's my one complaint. That's, there's, <laughs> I'll sit on his face. <laughs> The, you know what a boy like that is missing? The lyric, sit on his face. Oh, God. <laughs> Maybe when Roadshow reaches its final version, it'll find its way in. <laughs> when, when the frogs is finally yes. perfect. When Merrily, <laughs> when Merrily we, roll along is, we Roll Along is finally perfected, it'll have that lyric in it. Most likely during Franklin Shepard Inc. Yeah, and that's how you'll know. That's how you know it's done. Now you know it's done. Now you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, but the humor of the song, sorry, we're getting so off track. The humor of the song essentially is Philia singing this plan of like how she's just going to like sh- do all these physical things to the captain. Like that'll show him. And we see Hero like just get, um, it didn't happen in the video I sent you, but usually when it's staged, Hero's just like distraught at the plan. Like, what are you, like, you're, he's like, that's not going to show him a thing. <laughs> yes. I, I did watch clips of that production on YouTube. There's one full production on YouTube and it's not great. It's not great. And they they definitely stage that'll show him where like heroes. It, I don't know if he's like into the plan or if he's just like so in love with Philly, he's not listening. But the humor of the song is gone because he's not distraught at the plan. Uh, yes. Yeah. The, the juxtaposition of heroes' dismay and Philia not understanding what is wrong with the plan is like the crux of the story. <laughs> yes. I would, that, I would say that's like most of the humor of Philia is Philia overjoyed with whatever she's saying or doing and everyone else being like, really, bitch? Moving on, because after that'll show him, nothing happens plot-wise, which I've been saying a lot because it's true. Uh, then we have a bit more plot. Uh, Pseudolus convinces Hysterium to dress up as Philia to appease Miles to tell him that uh, Philia has died. And Pseudolus tells Philia to wait in the garden. No, on the roof. At this point, I can't remember. Behind a clump of myrrh in the garden. <laughs> Behind a clump of myrrh in the garden. So it's, this is, like, things are now really kind of starting to go to pot um, mm-hmm. with, with everything. And the Sterium comes out in Philia drag. And he's like, no one will buy me as a woman. Just look at me. Pseudolus goes, I can't take my eyes off you. You're lovely, absolutely lovely. Who'd believe the loveliness of you? And and it and it really seems to work because Pseudolus takes the first verse and then Hysterium really buys it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a boy in a dress comedy. Um, Aren't I pretty? Yes. Um, and Hysterium like gets on board with it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I am beautiful. I will play along. I will play dead. Shouldn't no, I have jewelry? I Shouldn't I, I have jewelry? Is, that's the is thing that makes me laugh every time. Is like, yes. 
because we always talk about shows like this and, you know, with some like it hot and you know, do they age well? The, all the humor is about a guy in a dress. Like what? That's really not funny anymore. And I'm like, humor is not, oh, look how silly this guy looks in a dress. It's the person who would never put on a dress to begin with is now forced in a situation where he has to. And he's uncomfortable. Like the, the humor comes from someone who's uncomfortable by a situation, then ends up embracing the situation when you never thought that they would. And in this situation, it's hysteria in a dress. And he ends up embracing the concept so much after uh, over time to the point where he's like, I should have some jewelry. Right. Like, look mm-hmm. at, look, she goes, look at the material. Mm-hmm. Look at this. T- touch this skin, darling. Yes. <laughs> Basically turns into Paris is burning and wants to walk a ball. And he's like, I need jewelry if I'm going to walk this floor. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Imagine hysteria at a ball. <laughs> Category is dead courtesan realness. <laughs> <laughs> drag race season 15 Death in realness. Death. well they did a runway like that it was called death becomes her um but that was specifically about the movie anywho um this is another song where sondheim says like it's funny because of the situation not because the of the lyrics yes it, it's almost a direct well it is a direct transplant like a direct reprise almost yeah. no words are changed from the all, yeah all, yeah i think it's it's um shortened a bit so i think they cut uh, one of Philia's bridges and they move into the here into hero's bridge but yeah it's it's a reprise of the song it's lyric for lyric and that is the humor of it yeah exactly it's a Sorry. you know it's not the clever like turn yes last thoughts on the lovely reprise before we barrel on towards the end i i do think this is the funniest situation and song like mashup of the whole show yes like this is what we're here for we're here to see uh, uh, like a kind of dumpy guy that's never been in a dress mm-hmm. be uncomfortable by being in a dress. <laughs> yeah. And this is, I'm trying to think if on Broadway this had been done before where a reprise turned the concept of the original song on its head. Because before this, reprises were usually um, like a callback to the first song, either in a like sadder form or a happier form you know you have carousel if i loved you the reprise is billy's dead and he's singing it again um let people say we're in love is the reprise it's you know this glorious callback i maybe i'm wrong i don't feel like i am i feel like form is the first time where the reprise is completely twisting the original concept of the song for a humorous take yeah i think you know maybe in in vaudeville but yeah in, like, I don't in musical think, theater proper. Yeah, I don't even think like Guys and Dolls ever did that or um, any comedies of the, like, or Kiss Me Kate. I don't think any comedies before Forum ever did that where there were pre's, because usually the pre's is the sadder song or it's the love song. Yes. And this is where they take a song, which, which was cute and funny in its own right, and then makes it absolutely hysterical by throwing, by repeating it with a new situation that's so wild. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, truly, I feel like that's the legacy for him has left is, is how they use the reprise in that way. Because mm-hmm. it takes you by surprise because it's so long since you've heard the song and it's also so long since we've heard a song. Right, yeah, it's very spare. Yeah, there are only like three or four songs in the second act, which yeah. I we texted before, like that's sort of a, a theme with a lot of Sondheim's earlier shows is these long first acts and then the second act has like three songs. Right, again, second act problems. Yeah, exactly. Gypsy famously only has four songs. A lot of book. A lot of book, four songs. A lot of book. So Pseudolus convinces Hysterium to put on the outfit and to be a dead philia. Milas comes back 
and they do the last song of the show, which is this big funeral procession. And the humor of this is Hysterium has to play dead while Miles like starts making all these plans for the body. Like we're gonna start a fire to burn the body, and you sort of see Hysterium like slowly get up, and Sudos like pushes him back down. This kind of stuff. Um, and then Sudos convinces him not to burn the body. We don't want to send the gods a charred virgin. Uh, and then Miles says, "I must kiss my bride." before I depart her, which is the last straw for Hysteria. I was like, listen, I'll put on the dress. I'll wear the jewels. I'll, I'll do the ball. I'll walk the floor. Right. <laughs> I will walk through the runway. I will not kiss Miles. Yeah, and I don't think it's homophobia. I just don't think Hysterium wants the diseases. Right. Sure. Hysterium is notoriously a voyeur. He's not a doer, as we learned from his pottery. Uh-huh. Yes. He's like, no, no, no. I'll watch Miles kiss Philia, but I won't let Miles kiss me. That's not right. what I'm into. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's not... It's not homophobia. It's actually very progressive um, sexual interests. Hysterium is for sure gay. Yeah. For sure gay. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wouldn't like it. He's just a voyeur. Yeah, he's just a voyeur, <laughs> which we don't shame him. It's who he is, it's who he be. <laughs> so <laughs> we then essentially go into this very big chase, which we have Domina, Philia, and Hysterium all in the same outfit, all being constantly mistaken for each other. Uh, Hysterium keeps uh, Philia keeps getting thrown into the house of Marcus Lycus. Domina gets keep getting mistaken for Hysterium getting kicked, and Domina thinks that someone that isn't Pseudolus is kicking her, keeps slapping the same person over and over. It's a lot of like um, Max Senate, uh, silent movie like chase sequences. It's like you again, it's that kind of stuff, just just like true farce, like noises off. Yeah, it's a lot of noises off. It's also that gag in Drowsy Chaperone that that was pure vodka, you poop but funnier. Yes. And longer. <laughs> and, and longer. And Leon's getting larger. <laughs> so everything comes to a halt. Then on top of all this, as everything's coming to a crashing halt, who walks by on his fourth lap but Erroneous? <laughs> Round four. Star of the show. Star of the show, Erroneous, who earlier had mentioned that his he knows when he'll find his children because they each have a ring with a gaggle of geese on them and it's the only ones ever made and he sees Milas Glorious has or Milas Glorious has the ring with gaggle of geese and uh, Philia walks forward she goes is this a gaggle <laughs> she doesn't know she doesn't know she doesn't know and we realize that Milas is about to marry his sister his long lost sister and Philia is born to a free Roman citizen, which means she can't be a courtesan because she's technically a free citizen, which means Marcus Lycus was about to sell, had just sold a free citizen, which throws Marcus Lycus in jail, which I find cruel. Marcus Lycus did nothing wrong. He's a businessman. Exactly. <laughs> but it frees the courtesans and allows Philia to marry Hero, Domina. Uh, oh, Senex mistakes Domina in the chase for Philia. And is like, oh, let's get let's get busy. And Domino's like, you do love me. Yes. And Senex is like, the fuck that I do. Yeah. Um, she thinks that their their love is or their sex life is reinvigorated. Mm-hmm. He's really sad. <laughs> He's really sad. He's confined himself himself to a life of sex with the wife who loves him. Right. Poor Senex. <laughs> Poor Senex. Oh, that's probably the worst the worst look on forum. Yeah. In my mind, Domino was always sort of a monster because I, I always understood that she was the shrewish older woman. And as I watched it, I'm like, she's really not. Like, yeah, you know, you can cast her with a woman with like a piercing voice or whatever, but she doesn't like 
dominate over anybody. She's not like the worst human being who's ever right. lived. She's simply an older woman. Right. So we are just asked to assume as the audience that all older women are bad and <laughs> terrible and to be around. And it's Senex's right to have sex with a girl young enough to be his daughter. Yeah, that's probably the worst look on four. <laughs> Very much so. And weirdly enough, Senex is one of those roles that just keeps getting Tony nominated. Really? Well, the original the original Senex won a Tony Award, and then in the last revival, the Senex was nominated. Right. Um, yeah, Hysteria. Jack Ilford was nominated for Hysterium the first time, didn't win, and then Larry Blyden won for Hysterium in the revival. Mm-hmm. But Marklin Baker was not nominated for the '96 revival as Hysterium, which is wild. crazy. Yeah, wild. Uh, you know, Senex is is a role that people like because he is funny, but it's it's not a cute look. Right. And 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 the Senex in, in 96 was really good. Yeah. He the, leaned into how old Senex was, which I appreciate. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, so we end with a nice little reprise of comedy tonight. Morals tomorrow, comedy tonight. Pseudolus is free. He gets to have one of the courtesans with him as his wife. Uh, don't feel sorry for Milos Glorious. He gets two of the courtesans in, as compensation for Philia. Ends up um, with the twins. Ends up with the, I, I actually really like that lyric. I get the twins, they get the best. Mm-hmm. Um, because the joke of Milos Glorious's Glorious is, is um how how you know pompous and egotistical he is. But like in the lyrics, it's, you, it kind of makes you wonder. I wonder if he actually is really good in bed. Because like no one, none, neither of the qu- twins are complaining that they get him. They're like, oh, awesome. Yeah. A life of sex with a really handsome soldier. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds great to me. <laughs> yes. Again, Chris Pine, hello. <laughs> um, yeah, and we end the show. So quick re- review corner for a second on Forum. Forum had like sort of all over the place reviews. Some reviews were super into it. Some reviews were like, what is this? Um, because it's actually weirdly a very high concept musical when you think about it. It's taking the works of ancient Rome and sending them to a vaudeville style show with a score that is super contrasting to the action. It's like, it's a show that on paper should not work and yet works so well. Right. I think we're any more in the realm of drama, it would not work. We, Mm -hmm. We forgive a lot of things when they are funny. Yes, and just and and with theater, we forgive so much when it's theater. Yes, which we'll get to for uh, in a second. But so some of the reviews, uh, Robert Coleman in the Mirror wrote, "You'll either love it or you'll loathe it." But I loved it. Uh, I thought it was riotous and a rowdy hit. Uh, Walter Kerr said, "An unpretentiously merry good time," but says that the score is in and out. Eventually wins out, but is mostly in and out. John McLean, not John McCain. I'm going to keep saying this on the pod mm-hmm. until John McLean is no longer a reviewer of Sondheim shows, but John McLean with an L, like Shirley McLean. The book is a wispy affair and the Sondheim score is less than inspired. The lyrics far surpass the music, but he does like the melody for Lovely. So Norman Nadel says, Sondheim's music would have been second rate even back in the 1940s, uh, but does come up with some catchy lyrics. And then there was one person, I think it was Brooks Atkinson. His review is so odd because he opens it with what he heard overheard in the lobby with two teenage boys where one teenage boy says to the other one if this show isn't a hit i'm gonna lynch your brother and then brooks atkinson says i hope he doesn't keep to that promise because this show is not gonna be a hit like first of all what who are those boys where do i find them and say things you don't say out in public or really ever yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and then where do i find brooks atkinson and say hey things to not open your review with yeah exactly and also he, he was wrong 
he was wrong. The show was a huge hit, ran for almost three years. Um, it, as you mentioned earlier, and we, I want to talk about it now. This was sort of the beginning of the the constant Sondheim struggle of oh, he writes great lyrics but less great music, mm-hmm. and he's convinced that if form if either he was allowed to write the music for Gypsy instead of just lyrics, or if form had come out before Gypsy, that would not have happened. It was part of the reason why he was so hesitant to write lyrics again for Gypsy. He was like, I'm going to be thought of as just a lyricist. And when I finally do come out with a score of my own, everyone's going to be like, who does he think he is writing music? He's a lyricist. Right. Um, which he was kind of right about. It took a very long time for people, for critics to kind of come around. Yeah. And I think uh, he had to find the subject matter where the intelligence of the music could make sense with the intelligence of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think in, in well, mostly with Forum and then Anyone Can Whistle and, and Do I Hear Waltz. It's not until Company when I, th- I think even for my tastes, the intelligence uh, match up. Like yeah. you, it, the lyrics and the music of Forum don't feel like they are married. Yeah, he hasn't crystallized yet as Sondheim. It's Correct. still a really fun score. Absolutely. And, and there's a lot of music there that I love. And I think, you know, it's it's some of his bounciest music, some of his most carefree music. But yeah, as a as a writer, as a songwriter, it is definitely not he's not quite there yet. It's still very good because when we say he's not there yet for Sondheim, like not there yet is like most people's ceiling. Exactly. So like, it's still a good score, but yeah, it's interesting that a lot of critics weren't into it so much so that when forum won the Tony for best musical and uh, director and actor and supporting actor. And I think even book, not only did Sondheim not win the Tony for best score, he wasn't even nominated. Yeah. And the show was nominated for eight Tony awards. Yeah. Winning, I think five maybe four or five yeah. oh, no and six i think once maybe one six do you know what was nominated the year that sondheim wasn't oh form? It, it already feels like an intentional snub and you're about to make it even worse oh yes well so two of these are are we're like okay you can stay uh first is the one that wins which is oliver which it can stay i it yeah. not not my winner i actually um the other one that I say can stay is Little Me. And that's the one that would be my winner for this year. Absolutely. Yeah. I would, I would nominate for him, but I would pick Little Me as the winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other two are Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. Okay. Which is, you know, it's fine. I do like that score. I it's like a, it's a good better, score. but. Yeah, yes. no, I think, I think overall it can stay. The other one that's nominated is Bravo Giovanni. Who? Yeah. Her? <laughs> Hmm? Who she? Based on the book, The Crime of Giovanni Venturi, closed after two months in 1962. So the show had been closed for 10 months by the time that the Tony nominations came out. So it was very much an intentional snub. Yeah. Wow. The to- the, man, they've always been catty. They continue to be. <laughs> they continue to be catty, which is uh, just hysterical to me. Yeah, no, I would absolutely put Forum in there over Bravo Giovanni. I put it in there over Stop the World, but since we have four nominees, Stop the World can stay. But yeah, you look at these and you're like, you know, much as I love Little Me and I think it is the best score of the bunch, no one knows songs from Little Me like they know Comedy Tonight or Everybody Ought to Have a Maid. 
Um, I think part of that is the Sondheim legacy, but also Form is the show out of all of these that has probably endured the most. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, certainly financially. Yeah. I mean, it's, listen, Oliver would be more su- successful financially if it had fewer children, but unfortunately you can't do Oliver without children. Right. Uh, also, Oliver the Stage Show, hot take here. Oliver the Stage Show is mediocre at best. The movie is phenomenal. So when people are like, oh yeah, Oliver winning best score, that makes sense. I'm like, no, no, no. You're thinking of the movie, which mm-hmm. doesn't have I Shall Scream, Mr. Bumble, and doesn't have Bill Sykes's My Name, which is yes. perhaps the stupidest song to ever exist. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and those are fighting words from someone who has dragged Finding Neverland numerous times on this podcast. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I should probably stop saying such mean things about it. It's going to come back to bite me in the ass one day. Yeah, th- those people are still alive. You can't be mean about them. I'm not mean about them. I mean about the thing they did together. If They can do other things separately. I've said many times, I thought Diane Paul said wonderful things with hair and Pippin and even Porgy and Bess. But Finding Neverland, listen, we all get a blemish sometimes. Sure, Hal, Prince absolutely. Had, Hal Prince had plenty. Sondheim yeah. has Do I Hear a Waltz. You exactly. have to just acknowledge that it's the blemish. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we're on Finding Neverland. Where did, how did we get here? Yeah, well, Finding Neverland was at the L'Enfantan Theater, which is where the first revival of Forum was. So there we go. Six okay. degrees with Kevin Bacon. Yes. And that revival only ran like a summer, I think. And I'm not because... sure, was it the end of a tour or something? Sort of. So it, it originated in LA and they brought it to New York. And I think what it was, was Phil Silvers had a stroke and they had to cut the run short. Because I think it was doing well. And then he was physically impaired and they had to stop. Interesting, yes. What was I going to say? Uh, oh, so yeah, with the legacy of Forum, there's a movie version, which did you watch again? You said you might. Yeah, I, I was introduced to the movie in high school, which I love. I think it is one of the, one of the great movie musicals. I have never watched it. I was Ugh. just, but I was, I was reading, you know, Sondheim's thoughts on it and he doesn't really care for it all that much. Um and then weirdly enough, I was reading a review of it and Rex Reed for the New Yorker when he was reviewing it, he was like, they cut so many of Sondheim's magnificent songs. They butchered this brilliant score. And I'm like, where was this praise four years earlier, Rex exactly. Reed? Yeah. How quickly things change. Final thoughts on Forum? Um, I, I do think that, that it is high time for, for revival. It does seem... You know, it's been almost, well, it's, it's 20 been years 20, since the last? 25 years, I think, since the last revival, yeah. Yeah, since 96. Um, I, and I'm not sure, I, I just love it so much and I think it's so silly and like a, a just a dose of sunshine. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do wonder how to do it responsibly now. <laughs> yeah. Well, so famously, Whoopi, Repl- Whoopi Goldberg replaced Nathan Lane in The Last Revival, yes. which I think is an interesting idea, um, sort of a gender-bent forum. Where and I know that there have been, there's an all-male production floating around the world. I think yes. John Wescavage was in it? Uh, so John wasn't in that one. So there, the, there was an all-male version that Christopher Fitzgerald did as Pseudolist that his yes. wife, Jessica Stone, directed which I went in for a couple of times. John was in a production, I think in Florida, and that was gender bent. So it had a female pseudolist and I think uh, some male courtesans. And I don't know how all the other genders were swapped, but it was very like gender neutral, which I think would be fun. Yeah, I, I actually think that 
in this time because they are stock characters mm-hmm. and it is a stock storyline like that is how i would direct it um mm-hmm. with with a a nod toward gender in some way mm-hmm. like a, an all-female production um you know a, com- a completely gender swapped production just the show comments on um our assumptions about gender already mm-hmm. so why not add the layer on top of it absolutely i mean i I think because form is a play within a play and because it's absolutely bonkers as it is. And as you also said, it plays with gender. Like you can, you don't need to necessarily change the genders of the characters, but you can change the genders of the actress playing the character. So it can be a woman playing a man. It can be a man playing a woman. Like I love the idea of the courtesans actually being men in very skimpy, like go-go boy outfits and sort of like, you know, uh, not necessarily that we are, fetishizing them but you know putting them on display in a way that women had to be on display for so many years yeah, and sort of exactly. turning the tables in a way um and not and letting them sort of embrace their inner femininity right also you are just just uh mr logan and want to see boys in go-go outfits i have no clue what you're talking about <laughs> i was so excited for the all-female 1776 and i'm devastated that i haven't seen it yet i am equal opportunity i don't want to see the naked male form. I think it's disgusting, especially when it's soaking wet. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, perhaps we do an all-female production, but all of the courtesans are male. Yeah, I'm into that. Well, so this goes into my rapid fire. So sure. I'm going to do this a little out of order because it's just an easy, easier transition. First, first question. It's called, I had a dream cast. Who... Would you like to see in a revival of this? So, done a little bit of thinking, and really, you need a tour de force pseudolus. Mm-hmm. And it's also kind of a, a buddy comedy with Hysterium. Mm-hmm. You know, it, as long as they hold down the show, everything else can kind of sort itself out. And I went back and forth. I can't decide. Um, I think I want Christian Borel to play pseudolus. And mm-hmm. Rob McClure to play Hysterium. Ooh. Although you could just directly flip them and the show would be equally as strong. Yeah. I just think you need smart clowns that are going mm-hmm. to be inventive. Um, you know, that that's the crux of the show. Like, Pseudolus is the heart, the bits that he does. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to make or break a production. You know that there was a time before he went off to Hollywood and people got sick of him. James Corden was going to do a revival of Forum like seven years ago. I do know that. And I don't think that he is funny enough. Or maybe just having seen The Prom, I hate him now. (laughs) Yeah, that's the case with all the gays is they hate him now because of The Prom. I will say him in One Man, Two Governors is still one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Absolutely. That's also a, a play like for him for his skills i think my issue with him playing pseudolus is that he is such a love me audience kind of guy and pseudolus whoever plays him needs to be able to play the audience yeah he's a he's puckish yes exactly so i think it's a little he's a little too eager to please but he did do so many wonderful comedic things in one man two governors i would have been interested to see that i prefer the idea of borel I would like, I don't know. I think Borl actually would be a better hysterium than than Pseudolus, but I also think Rob McClure would be a phenomenal uh, hysterium. I really like that casting. Yeah. 
do you have any like names for the lovers? I'm trying to think of like some fun young comedic actors for those parts. I well, I think Isaac Powell should play Hero. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, I've never seen him in a comedic role, but I think in in the way of like Michael Crawford, like just exuding youth, mm-hmm. um, he can do that well. I, but I would love to see people that are known comedic entities. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I just worked with Izzy McCullough mm. and I, you know, Broadway's Alyssa Green, but I think she would be the world's greatest, funniest philia. Oh, she'd be an awesome philia. Yeah. I love that I'm, so much. Yeah. I'm like I, gunning for that. I forget the name of the actor who replaced Matt Doyle in Sweeney Todd off Broadway but he was a Mormon boy as in, as in he was in Mormon. Not that he's uh, Billy, Billy Ty, Billy Harrison maybe, Ty. Maybe I don't quote me on names, but I think that's it. He, I thought he was such a funny Anthony. And I was like, you know what? I would love to see his hero because I'll bet you he could find laughs as hero. I bet he would be amazing. Yeah. He's he, the sweetest man too. He, he, if this is, if we're talking about the same person, he found laughs in Anthony that I've never heard an actor do before mm-hmm. and they all worked it wasn't one of those like oh i'm i'm digging for laughs to show the audience how clever i am like yeah he, he genuinely found character-based laughs yeah so i would love to see that would love that um the sondheim rhyme what is your favorite sondheim lyric in this show i shockingly they're both miles gloriosis lines love it um the the first one is in bring me my bride uh and the soldiers say, one, two, one, two. And he says, we not only fought, but we won, too. <laughs> the soldiers say, left, right, left, right. And he says, there's none of the enemy left, right? One, two, one, two. We not only fought, but we won, too. One, two, one, two. Left, right, left, right. There's none of the enemy left, right? Right, And then in the... Funeral sequence. Um, um, I'm just gonna pull it up because it's so good. He says, "Sound the flute, blow the horn, pluck the lute, forward mourn instead of forward march," mm-hmm. which is just like every time I listen to that, I like throw up my arms to Steve. Like you did that. Yeah, I can't believe it. I'm Heather Headley throwing my shoe at her final performance yes. of The Color Purple. That is, Absolutely. I take my shoe and I throw it. Next section. It's called God. That's good. Where does this show rank for you in the Sondheim canon? Rank. I think it's so different than I I would not put it in the same category as um, George, Passion, Woods. Well, but you have to think of it as in terms of what it's trying to do and how well it succeeds at doing it. That's, that's how I view it. Yes. In any way. I would say of Sondheim's contributions to the mm-hmm. score, um, you know, I, I think Sondheim even admittedly says that it does not do what it wants to do. Hmm. The strength of Forum is in the book. The songs are good, but they don't contribute to like the perfect fusion in a musical. Hmm. So I, I would not put it at the top. I would put it as one of my favorites. Um, so I would draw the distinction there, but I think like the best Sondheim musical lies elsewhere. That's okay. into the woods for me, but that inter- up to debate. That's interesting. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm not going to give away my rankings until the very, very last episode, uh, but yeah, cause there's a difference between 
favorite and best. So this is one of your favorites. It's up there for you in terms of the shows that you love the most, but in terms yes. of his contribution, in terms of where it stands in the history of the Sondheim canon, probably more lower, middle, higher, yeah, low. Yeah, in, in, in the middle for me. Yeah, that's fair. Um, next one is called It's the Little Things, a.k.a. There Won't Be Trumpets, which is How Would You Downsize, a.k.a. John Doyle, this show? I mean, it's pr- a pretty small show. It is. It's uh, one set with a small cast, but how would you make it even cheaper? How would I make it even cheaper? Well, I mean, it's one set. I would maybe make the Proteans also the courtesans. Love it. So there's there are only three ensemble members instead of, I think there are six or seven courtesans. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, it is so silly that you, I would find it a challenge to see how few actors could play as many parts as possible mm. um the, you know there's tossing on of wigs and stuff like mm-hmm. who is not on stage all that much at the same time can domina also play Milace? Mm-hmm. um or like can domina play uh like marcus lycus or something like that yes you know erroneous and marcus lycus and somebody else are played by the same actor and then at the end when everyone's sort of on stage together like the humor of that person then having to change into another character on stage to answer i think there's actually a lot of humor to be found of someone having to answer to themselves oh yeah so yeah like perhaps you you do a six-person forum six person forum in a black box in a black box that's my that's my rapid fire on forum for you uh what do we think forum leaves behind as a legacy and where did we think it leaves sondheim actually sorry two questions where does forum leave sondheim in 1963 like where is he at as a in his career it it leaves him pretty low with with a lot to prove Mm um in in the um in the biography, the the Meryl Strayed biography, um, I have I have it. Hold I on. just don't remember her last name. I'm sorry, Meryl. Um, She's not the Meryl we all know. Meryl Secrest or Secrest. Yeah, Meryl Secrest. In that bi- biography, someone's quoted as saying Sondheim almost killed himself post forum because mm. he got not. It was the first time you know, often in, in Westside, he just wasn't mentioned in reviews mm-hmm. and forum, he was poorly mentioned. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it leaves him with a ton to prove because he still hasn't shown people that he can write music and it becomes an uphill battle for him over the next 30 years. Yeah. Um, it's definitely that like brass string he keeps trying to grab. And especially because it's so relentless. He has Westside, Gypsy, and Forum, one right after the other. Each one is a success. They're all financially successful. They all get movie versions. Um, Gypsy is perhaps the most critically praised and Forum is the most financially successful. And then, you know, after, by the time Forum comes on Broadway, the West Side Story movie has come out and is like the phenomenon that it is. But with each show, he's not really praised. So like, it's this weird thing of you have all this success, one right after the other, you're working with the best people and you're doing good work, but a lot of people just aren't appreciating it. Right. Um, and it makes you question yourself. It makes you question whether you want to still do it, um, which I think we all can relate to where you- Yeah, like, absolutely. Keep, you keep doing the work and it's- but. What I can't, what I can't, okay. What I cannot relate to is having massive success, technically speaking, and not 
having it be the success that I want. What I can relate to is putting out work that I think is good and people being like, no, it's not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, and I'm guilty of, you know, being on the other end of that as well, but it's a very interesting situation. It's like trapped within your own success. Uh, it's like how when Fosse had his own breakdown after winning the Tony Emmy and Oscar all in one year. Um, but it's a little different kind of success, but it's, you know, trapped within this cage that you've built for yourself. It's just not, it's not how you thought it was going to be built. Right. Like, you know, after forum, he has enough money to buy a house. Mm-hmm. Um, the house that I believe he still lives in. Yeah. But, uh, you know, not, no one has said that he is good. People have given him money, but no one has given him the affirmation that he is like, indeed talented. Yeah. He, he gets like little bones thrown here and there. Basically like West Side Story, he's not mentioned at all. Um, Gypsy, he's mentioned with, you know, praise in the sense of, you know, the, everyone's just like, the lyrics are good. Like Gypsy's wonderful, the lyrics are good. And he's yeah. like, I would love it if people were like, the lyrics are amazing, but whatever. Then we get to Forum where like two writers were like, the score is fine. And everybody else is like, the score is stupid. And then after this, we go into Anyone Can Whistle, which is his first bomb, but weirdly like kind of the rebirth of him as a writer because he starts to get his fans with this, with Anyone Can Whistle. And where do we think Forum stands in the history of Broadway? Like, where does it leave us now? Like, what is it, what is it brought Broadway by, by existing? You know, it, uh, I think it is the rebirth of the musical farce. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, there had never, like, Roger, Rogers and Hammerstein brought the, the three-dimensional character mm-hmm. um, and integrated, you know, story and plot. Um, and this is, the, this is the first iteration of, uh, of that idea intentionally being broken mm. that that you know uh there's a self-awareness about the fact that like we're singing and we're poking fun at that almost in yeah. a way that that vaudeville didn't that that was just how the convention worked um you know by this time they knew there was another way and they decided not to and I think that that has paved the way for, uh, you know, the spamalots of the world, things where the fact right. that you are being conventional is poked at. Right. It is definitely, I don't want to say it was, if it was the first or not, but it's definitely the show that marks meta commentary in musical theater as we know it today. Yes. Uh, yes. That breaking of the fourth wall, that commenting on, a song happening, of a joke happening, of a of anything happening that, you know, as you said, in that Rodgers and Hammerstein world where it's like, what are you talking about? Like, that's just the language with which we're expressing ourselves in this world and no one comments on the silliness of it. Whereas Forum's like, isn't all of this crazy? Yes. And the audience laughs because they're like, yeah, kind of is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's for better and for worse because there are a lot of shows that are not nearly as smart or as well-constructed as Forum because Forum is allowed to make those jokes because it's so well constructed the script is so tight the songs superfluous as they may be are really fun and really intelligent Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of shows since forum have taken away the wrong message of like oh commenting on the silliness of the of it being musical theater is enough for the audience to 
get you know move along with the rest of it. I'm like no the rest of it has to be good too yeah yeah it cannot it has to be the icing and not the the meat yes i would i feel like in a weird way you're in town is like if kurt vile and bertolt brecht wrote for him does that make sense y- yes because it's that style of sound and like that kind of story but the same style of presentation yes yeah it's very it's, it's the music hall meta theatrical version of of a Bertolt Brecht story. yeah vile story yeah um so in a lot of ways forum gave us urine town one could say I I would not even call that a stretch <laughs> <laughs> well thank goodness because I can barely touch my toes <laughs> okay. um you know what I think this is as good a place as any to call it quits Patrick this has been lovely this has been wonderful Thank it's you been, so much. We've spent so long. I hope you edit this. Well, I'm going to edit some things out. I've already decided that these episodes are going to be longer than old episodes of, of Breakdown. Great. Because, you know, we're just talking about stuff. I'll definitely cut some stuff out, but it's going to be a longer episode. So I had to warn the listeners. I, uh, yes. Uh, I, I At this point, I will have released my little promo informing them that episodes will be longer. Great. So they can just deal with it. They can deal with it. They can deal with it. We're talking about a lot of good stuff, I feel like. Yes. Thank you for listening, one. We're not yelling at you. <laughs> We're not yelling at you. Thank you for not turning off your uh, podcast app as soon as I mentioned sing- sitting on people's faces. And thank you for not turning it off the moment you heard Patrick Sulkin's voice, because I would have. <laughs> wow. Wow, Matt. Listen. We're being honest here, Patrick. We're Constructive criticism. Change your voice. That's all. Patrick, where can people find you on social media? Um, I, you can find me at, on my website, patricksulkin.com. And I am on Instagram at Patrick Sulkin. And I have no other social media. I have Facebook that I never check. And really my mom is my only friend. And I left Twitter a couple of years ago because it was making me sad. Yes, so absolutely. find me on Instagram. I do love Instagram. You're, you have a nice Instagram. I like, I do like, despite everything I just said, I do enjoy following you. You're fun. <laughs> You can find me on Instagram at Matt Koplik, usual spelling, and you can like, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. I love to say, listen, if you don't like this podcast and you want to let me know, write me the most scathing review you can. Just make it five stars. That's all. That's all I ask for. Algorithms are real, and I'm tired of being a boutique podcast. I want to be out and proud. I don't want to be a Do I Hear a Waltz. I want to be a forum. So let me be, let me be a form. Let me be your star, one might say. Um, I'm trying to think who we can close out with as our diva because we've done Mary Testa and there's really no other females in, who've done forum that I think are really great. Um, maybe Jessica Bovers doing That'll Show Him, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I we we could also just like give it up for Preshi because her name is Preshi, the original Philia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go. You know what? Now it's not meant to uh, show any disdain towards Jessica Bovers. I enjoy her voice and she d- sings very lovely as Philia. She was just the first name that came to my mind because she's more recent. No, let's do Preshi. Let's do Preshi and let's do That'll Show Him because that is that is the banger of the show. That's the banger. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, have a good week. Thank you for making it this far. Take us away. Preshi. When I kiss him, I'll be kissing you. So I'll kiss him morning and night. That'll show him. Oh.
Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.